Uh, If you have your Bible, we're going to be looking today out of the book of Daniel. So that's Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at verse number 8. So if you have a hard copy with you, um, you can go to the middle of your Bible, hang a little bit of a right, and you're going to run into the book of Daniel. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. And I'll just tell you right now, this is one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible. It is just such a great story. I always get excited whenever I uh, get a chance to talk about this passage of Scripture. But I really think this Scripture we're going to look at, and we'll explain it a little bit more as we uh, go along, I really think that it, it fits in well with our whole idea of the series we're involved in now called C4. Now, we call it C4 Engaging Culture, and that is for a reason, because our, our very basic understanding and belief is that as Christians, as a church, we have a responsibility and a calling from God to engage the culture in which we live. And so the question is, well, how do we do that? Now, that thought and that idea kind of goes contrary to what so much of the world tells us. And we mentioned this before last week, but the world will share with us over and over again. I mean, you can watch media, you can watch, I mean, you can, you can watch comedians, you can watch television shows. They tell us that matters of faith are things that are to be kept to yourself. Uh, It's a very private issue. It's something that is not to to be shared because it might offend some people. And and I know the very easy thing to do is to look at that and say, well, yeah, there's no doubt my faith is something that is private. It is between me and my God. But what I am figuring out more and more as I go along is that the stuff that I feel a lot of times or very often does not, is not uh, corroborated by what this book says. Now let me give you an example. Uh, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, just in in real simple language here, here's what Jesus is saying. He said, you are going to engage culture wherever you go so that you can be my witnesses wherever you are. And so a couple of years ago as a church, we said, you know what, we need to do this. We need to engage culture. We need to make sure that we are being a light, we are being salt and light in the world in which we live. And so so how are we going to do that? We said, well, that's why we came up with C4. So there's four different areas our church is going to minister in order to engage culture. And so I'm going to help you all out. Then you all have to fill in the blanks. Uh, The very first one, we said this. We said, we're going to engage culture on our campuses. So that's the first C. And then we're going to engage culture where else? Did you all say community? I'm just going to act like you all did. So you all said community. So we're going to engage culture in our communities. And then we're going to engage culture where else? It was last week. So care ministries. Right, y'all doing great. And then this week, we're going to see that we're going to engage culture in our civic responsibilities. And, and we're focusing in, as a church, on our civic responsibilities. Because, y'all, we, we are living in a time and in a world in which we are seeing less and less people identifying themselves as followers of Jesus. More people are saying are identifying themselves as being non-Christian than ever before. Now there's no doubt that the that the country that we live in was founded upon a basic Judeo 
Christian ethic. But as time is going along, we are moving further and further away from that. And people saying you need to keep your faith private, keep it to yourself. Do not allow it to engage the culture in which we live. And I look at that and I think, but that is not the calling that we've been given in Scripture. And so we have a major challenge as believers. What are we going to do? Now, I know that it's, it's very easy to say we're going to engage culture. That sounds good, but I'm a pretty pra- I think I'm a pretty practical person. If you're going to tell me that, then I have to have some, some idea or some steps I can take in order to be able to do that. Well, that's why we're looking in Daniel chapter 3, verse number 8 today, with the story, my, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, of some three of, I mean, three men who I would say they, they were, they were uh, you know, like they were a, a man's man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all know, y'all know the story? The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. Now, here's the background of the story. The background of the story is they were in captivity. Uh, they, they had been pulled out of Jerusalem where they had been raised, where they lived. Nebuchadnezzar from uh, Babylon, he's the king of Babylon, the one world power, super world power at this time, came into Jerusalem, leveled the city. They destroyed the temple, just absolutely obliterated it, and they took people into captivity. And three of the people they took were these three guys. And so they moved from a culture that had a had a, 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 an ethic, a godly ethic that they'd been founded upon, and they move into another culture that's totally different than theirs. Matter of fact, they were encouraged to leave behind their biblical ethic. And so they had a choice to make. What are we going to do? We, we gonna stand, are we going to stand for the things of God? Are we going to live for the things of God? Or are we going to go the way of man. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see some lessons that they teach us about how we can engage culture, how we can engage government, how we can engage politics, how we can engage what's being taught to our children from the story of these three men. Now here's what's happened. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3, he has built this 90 foot tall golden statue. And he tells everybody, we're going to play some music and whenever the music is played, I want you to bow down before it and worship it. Now, he did this in order to basically to get people to demonstrate their allegiance to him by bowing down to this idol. Now, we can look at that and say, well, you know, you don't want to get in trouble. Matter of fact, as a little side note, he had this thing that the Bible calls a fiery furnace on the side. And he says, by the way, if you don't bow down to it, I'm going to burn you to death. Now, um, I don't know about y'all, but it's a little bit frightening to me. And so these three men, this is where they have a choice to make. What are we going to do? Are we going to follow the mandates of man, or are we going to follow the commands of Scripture? And so they had a decision to make, and we're going to see the decision they made and some lessons we can learn from it. So the first lesson we learned from these three men about how we can stand firm in our faith is this. First of all, don't, Christians, this is for us, don't bow down. There is only one that we are to bow down to according to Scripture, and it is 
creator God. We bow to him and no one else. We bow to him and not to Republican or Democrat or Independent or Green Party or what other other parties there are in this world, there is only one as believers that we hold allegiance to. It is the God of Scripture. Now look with me. We see how they didn't bow down. In verse number 8 it says, Some Chaldeans, this is the Babylonians, they took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews, in particular three men. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn flute, zither, by the way, I didn't know what the zither was, I found out it's a stringed instrument, Uh, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. You said whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire, and then here's where we find out there are a bunch of tattletales. There are some Jews that you've appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So the king has all of his officials around him. There's this big statue, the music plays, there's a fiery furnace, and he says, bow down to it, and everybody is going to bow down for a couple reasons. One, the king wants to make it attractive to bow down to it, so I'm going to play some nice music. It's going to be a really sweet little ceremony here. And then he said, and if you don't do that, that doesn't encourage you then I've got a fiery furnace where I'll burn you alive. So, you know, sweet and then then really tough right here. So he said, I'm I'm going to force you to do what I want you to do. And I looked at that and I thought, did you know that the world, we we still use the same playbook today? Now, we, we play the music in this way today. Don't, don't constrict yourself with what God says. Live like you want to. Do what you want to do. It's, it's fun. It's easy. You don't ever have to get on to anybody. You're going to get along with people. You don't have to be judgmental. You have to do any of those things. Everything just goes smoothly. And, and what might be your truth, it, it might not be somebody else's truth, but you know, there's a bunch of different truths out there. So just live according to what feels good to you. Now, I will tell you this. In a lot of ways, that's attractive to me. It's attractive to me because, I mean, who, who doesn't want to do what they want to do? Yeah, who who doesn't want to not point out where people aren't doing what they what you think they should do? You say, yeah, well, they can do whatever they want. We're just all we just all have this kind of freedom, and so that that's a very easy temptation for me to fall into. It appeals to me. You know, I, I like the idea of never feeling guilt. So the world still plays this game. We'll play some music, do what you want to do. But the world also plays the other part of the game that Nebuchadnezzar did by intimidation. Nebuchadnezzar says, you don't follow me, I'm going to throw you into a fire. He's trying to force you to do things. The world does the same thing today. By telling those of us who have faith, do you really believe this book? It's outdated. It's old-fashioned. You know, it was, it was something that was maybe worth looking at a long time ago, but it's not worth following anymore. And if you follow it now, you're considered to be outdated, bigoted. And, and, I, and when people say that stuff, you know, I, I don't want people to have labels on me like that. But it's amazing. If, if, y'all, if we don't follow the agenda of what the world teaches us, there's going to be labels on you. 
you know, that the world gives us the agenda and says, listen, if you are a person who believes in, in marriage between a man and a woman, and if you're a person who believes in the sanctity of life, if you're a person who believes in Genesis 1-1, where the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that the world's going to look at you and say, that guy's not even worth paying attention to. His views are are old, his views are outdated, and, and I really believe we are moving to a point, and I believe we're starting to see it now, that if you hold what God says, then, then it's going to be considered, for some people, if you speak about it, it's going to be hate speech. It's going to be times whenever you're going to hold what God says, and I believe we're moving to a day where we'll be disqualified from jobs, and, and none of us want that, and so what I see a lot of times is believers They're backing off the basic fundamentals of what God's Word has to say because we desire to be accepted by the world. And and that is always a tension that we live with. You know, we, we live in this world, but we are not to be of the world. And so we have a choice to make. Am I going to go with God or am I going to go with man? Paul faced the same issue. That's why he wrote in Galatians 1, 10 through 12, for am I not trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I, am, I striving to, am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. For I didn't receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation from Jesus Christ. He said, I, I want to conform to the image of Jesus and not the image of the world. You know, one of the, one of the biggest sins that you can commit today is to, is to not conform to, to groupthink. And yet when you go through the Bible, the Bible tells us that we are not to be people who conform. Romans 12, 2. What does it say? Do not be conformed to the present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what God's will is, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. It says, do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed, it means do not be fashioned like the world. Now, when I saw that word fashioned, it made me think of clothing. So if, if, you, if you follow Jesus, serve Jesus, it means you're going to have a different wardrobe than the rest of the world. You're going to dress differently. Now, when you dress differently, there's going to be people that notice that because you're not like everybody else. You know, you're, you're different. You're, you're changed. Now, being different is not always fun. I looked at the men in the, the Scripture, these three men, and they made a decision, we're going to wear different clothing. We're going to live differently. And so they start playing the music. There's a big statue there. Everybody bows down, but there's three guys standing. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think people notice those three guys still standing? I guarantee you they did. You want to talk about the odd man out, everybody's bowed down. There's three guys just standing standing straight up. Let me tell you something. If you decide that you're going to stand with God, there will be times when it might just be you standing. There are going to be times whenever you stand and say, I'm going to stand. I'm not going to stand on, you know, what, what I want. I'm not going to stand on political parties. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. And if you do that, oftentimes you end up becoming a lightning rod. 
Now, what I, what I really like about this is when they stood up for God and said, we will not bow, we will not bow down to culture, we will not bow down to politics, we will only bow down to Jesus. When they stood up straight, here, you know what I noticed about that? They, they weren't rude. They weren't rude to the king. They weren't angry at the king. They just said, hey, listen, our allegiance, it's to God, it's not to you. Now, Christians, I think we have to be careful here. When, when, we, when we decide to stand, we have to make sure that we're not going to be angry, that we're not going to be mean, but that we are going to be firm and say we will stand with Jesus above all else. You see, our allegiance is to Jesus, and if we want our faith to be taken seriously, then we need to seriously follow Jesus. So, so what's the lesson I learned from these men? Well, the first lesson I learned from these men is, first of all, don't bow down. But then the second lesson is that don't bend. And Villa Church, this is for us. Don't bend. When it comes to our beliefs, when it comes to how we live, how we engage culture, how we treat people, how we vote, how we do all of these things, first lesson, don't bow down. Secondly, don't bend. Now look with me in verse number 13. So what happens? The men don't bow down. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? It says he flew into a rage. And he gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now if you're ready, he says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, that fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, You'll immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? And it's one of my favorite parts in all the scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the flames or from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you the king, and I love this part, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know as king that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Now, what, what do you all think about that? I look at that and I think that is, un, that is what I call chutzpah. Hutzpah, whatever you say it. That's what I call a group of guys who said, you know what? We don't care what you think. We only care about what God thinks. Now, I'm not going to tell you that what they did was easy. I mean, I am scared. I don't even want to think about how I would have responded to that. I, I More than likely, I would have had some knee pads on. I would have dropped down to my knees so quickly so I wouldn't skin my knees. It makes me nervous to think what I would have done. But I look at those guys, I admire these men, and I think, man, I want us to be more and more like that. They refuse to bow down. So we're not going to do it. So the king goes into a rage, and he says, bring these men before me. The three guys who stood out among everybody else, get them in front of me. Brings them in front of them. Now, why did he give them another chance? Well, there's a good chance it's because these guys, these guys were politicians. These guys were friends with Daniel, who wrote this book. When Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar said, man, I want you and your buddies to help me rule this country. So he probably enjoyed their work. 
So he's trying to do whatever he can to spare them. He says, all right, strike up the band again. This is your chance to bow down. Now here's what's just so fascinating to me. I thought, these guys, they, they could have you know, made their little stand and then said, okay, now we're going to compromise. They could have made excuses. They could have made the excuse and said, we didn't hear the music. Or, or we would have dropped down. You know, at my age right now, I can't hear anything. My wife says I'm deaf. So that would have been a legitimate excuse. I didn't hear the music. Or it could have been, oh, you told us to, to bow down. We thought you said to stand up. But they didn't make any excuses. As a matter of fact, they reaffirmed their position. They said, God is able to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we will not serve your gods. They were more comfortable putting their lives in the hands of God who had control over life and death instead of placing their hands or their lives in the hands of men who were finite. Yeah, and I think sometimes we try to make deals with God a lot of times. You know, God, God calls us how to live, and we're like, okay, God, I'll do that. You know, if God, I'll do that if you if you increase my salary. God, I'll, I'll be obedient to you and follow your word. You know, if you if you give me that woman that I that I want to marry. God, I'll I'll do what you want me to do if you make sure that in my life I don't suffer. But we need to understand this. Did you know God does not make deals with you? God just simply calls for you to be obedient to him and then to leave it to him. That's why I like these men in our text. They lived it out. They said our God can rescue us, but even if he does not. They didn't demand God perform a miracle for them. They say, God, we're just simply going to be obedient to you because we believe in who you are. Now, I, th- that kind of faith is amazing to me. I, I read a, 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 a quote on this particular story from a Christian author, and here's what he had to say about this kind of faith. He said, when the servant of God can do nothing else, at least he can die like a Christian. That's a motivator, isn't it? When you can do nothing else, at least you can die like a Christian. These men, they were willing to die like men of God. And because of it, we still talk about them 2,500 years later. You know, there, there, there's, so many, there's so many obstacles that we have before us. There's so many storms that stand in front of us as believers today. And they're, they're just simply growing more and more. I really believe that. It's growing more and more. And it's easy to become fearful and frightened and to think, you know what, we, man, we can't make a difference. And so we just say, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. Just let the world just roll right on through us. You guys, let me tell you something. God always empowers his people. God always gives strength to those who will be faithful to him. I look at these men. I learn these lessons. Don't bow down. Don't bend. And then here's the final lesson that they teach us. It's believe. Believe in in who the God of Scripture is. In verse number 19, it says that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. 
And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. And he commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes, they were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried these three men up. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. So they fall into the fire. What happens? Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and he said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? And they said, Yes, of course, your majesty. They replied to the king and he exclaimed, Look, I see... Four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, here's where I'm blown away in the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down. They, they are given the chance to compromise. So we're not compromising. And now they're getting ready to get thrown into the fiery furnace. The king is so ticked off, he heats it up seven times hotter than before. Just chunk them in. Now, did they start compromising then? Nope. They said, you know what? We're going to be obedient to the Lord all the way to the end. We have a major disagreement, and we're not willing to compromise. But here is their belief. They said, our God is faithful. Christians, Billisters, can you imagine if we really believe that? When it comes to how we live, when it comes to how we interact with people, when it comes to the stands that we need to take about values that are biblical, and we come together and say, you know what, regardless of what party affiliation you might have, first of all, let me tell you something, we are Christians, and we hold to the truth of Scripture. And if we rally around the truth of Scripture, I guarantee you we will change this world. These men, they changed the world. Because they leaned all of their weight and belief upon the God of Scripture. They said, we're going to trust Him because He's faithful. You know, that, that, that word to, to lean upon, to lean your whole weight upon. There's a guy named John, uh, John Patton, who's a missionary in the South Hebrides Islands, and he was translating the Bible. And in the language of this group of people, they did not have a, a word for believe. And so it's hard to translate Scripture when the word believe is not there. And so he's trying to figure out what to do, and he's working. He said one day there's a guy that came into his office, one of the natives, and he said he sat down in his chair, and he leaned back on it, and he kind of looked at him. He said, hey, what are you doing right now? And so he said, I'm sitting in your chair. He said, I mean, specifically what you're doing. He, told, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning my weight upon this chair. And that's the word he used for belief. And, and that's what belief is. It's leaning your whole weight upon Jesus. And whenever you do that, something incredible happens. So what happened in our text? When they leaned their whole weight upon him, they were all three thrown into the fire. When they were thrown into the fire, how many of them were there? When the king looked in, how many men did he see? Four. Who was the fourth one? One of the son, somebody who looks like one of the sons of the gods. A lot of people will say that was Jesus. That he went into the fire in order to protect his people, to watch over them, to keep them safe. 
Now, I think it's incredible. As they went into the fire, those three men, they had courage to stand with God. Now, when they, when they did not bow down, let me ask you this question. Did they see God when they were the only three men standing? Did they see him anywhere? No. When, when the king came to them and said, you can compromise and bow down now, did they see, did they see God in that situation? When did they see him? This is interesting to me, when they were in the flames. Now, y'all, I'm I'm not a fan of suffering. I am totally against it. But I believe this. I believe there are times when we will see God when we're in the flames. When it's easy, when everything's going our way, a a lot of times we don't see God. But whenever we stand and say, God, regardless of what the world says, I will stand with you. I really believe this. It is then you're going to start seeing God. We are living in a time when I believe the furnace is getting a little hotter for Christians. When I look at the political scene that is going on. Now, when I talk about that, you know, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the basic fundamental beliefs that we hold to as believers that life is valuable, that truth is absolute. When I see what's going on in the world, the flames are getting a little hotter. And as believers, we need to be willing to say we will stand with life. All of us as believers should stand with life. All of us believers should stand with truth. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about your truth and my truth. I'm talking about the truth of scripture. Now if we're going to do that, there's going to be some flames, but I believe this. I believe we will see God in the flames. Now now what happened with these three men as they did this? It transformed the king. He said, "Get them out of the fire now." And then he said in verses 29 and verses 30, He said, therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there's no other God who's able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. A kingdom was impacted and changed for God because of three men. Village Church, we got more than three people in here. What would happen if we stood up and said, we are going to be impacted by our faith in how we live, in how we treat people, in how we vote, in how we support people, in how we stand with life. I'm not talking about, now when we talk about politics, y'all, I'm smart enough to know we have varying degrees in here. But there's one thing we should be united in, the truth of Scripture. And if we unite behind that, let me tell you, we will be a force for good. Where people see the light and the power of God. I really believe this. I am convinced and convicted that Village Church has a role to play in being salt and light. Now, that all sounds good. How do we do that? What can we do? Well, that's why we had some people on our civics team who made a very short video, about three minutes long. And so I just want you to watch that. And then after that video plays, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. 
and then we're going to dismiss with you having the opportunity to make a decision. Maybe this is one of the C's where I engage culture. So let's watch the video. Hi, I'm Nikki Trawick. And I'm Michelle James. And we are leaders in the C4 Civics Ministry here at Village Church. And you're probably wondering what part does civics play in the church and why should I get involved with that? This all kind of started back in 2012. A man by the name of George Barna, who owns the Barna Group, who was a leading pollster of Christians in the United States, did a survey after the 2012 presidential elections and discovered that out of 80 million registered voters who identified as Christians here in the United States, only 30 million of them actually voted. So think about all that's happened in the last few years in our culture, and then think about how different things might have looked if those 50 million people had voted. And I think that's when our church, the leadership in our church, just took notice of the lack of participation as Christians. So leadership decided to create the civics team. And the main purpose is for our church to be heard at the polls. It's time for Christians, especially this church and all churches to head to the polls and vote our values. And so that's the main purpose of the civics team is to educate the congregation about different candidates. And we do that through we do that through lots of ways, candidates and issues alike. We do that, basically, we've done, last year or two years ago, I should say, um, I'm not sure if you remember, but we did a voter guide. We also did a guide for um, Richmond to School Board. Um, we also have done um, a lot of right-to-life, pro-life issues. Uh, we went to, last year in January, we participated in the South Carolina Citizens for Life in their right-to-life weekend, which is the first weekend in January we did. Um, the banquet, and then some of us did the pro-life march for that as well. And we just tried, we're trying real hard to keep you up on the issues. And we're hoping that, you know, you'll come by our table and that you'll learn about issues and sign up with us to go to school board meetings. Mm -hmm. We also are engaging in that. So, And yet we, the main point is Christians have a voice. That's right. And it's time for us to really be heard and we have 800 plus members in this church so um we matter and it's time for us as christians to believe that